and joy to our hearts this morning. Thank you for your grace. Now, Father, help us to value your word. As we look now into your word, thank you for the provision of Brother Preston this morning. We look forward to learning and experiencing what you've laid on his heart this morning. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Before you're seated, help me welcome Brother Preston. I'm not going to say much about him this morning as far as an introduction. Uh, Preston and Cindy are, are newer members. They've been with us. feels like they've been here forever. They've been with us for a long time, but they're newer members. I will tell you this. He has pastored in the past. You will see that in just a moment. Uh, but we are so thankful to have him come and fill our pulpit this morning. Will you welcome Preston? He's going to share his testimony tonight. That's why I'm not giving details. Thank you, Dale. Cats out of the bag. He put the pressure on me. Amen. Amen. I hate to uh, make you get up and down, but I would ask that you stand for the reading of God's Word as we honor Him. And God's Word is the absolute truth, amen, in a world filled with lies. A lot of lying, but not God's Word. And so, turn with me to Romans chapter 12 this morning. We're just going to be in two verses. Two, I believe, are two of the most important verses in all of the Bible. And if we capture these verses in our life, we really capture the essence of what it is to love God, to serve God, and really to worship God. Amen? Amen. Romans chapter 12, verse 1 says, Therefore I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice, acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. Amen. You may be seated. I want to begin this morning by thanking the Lord. Um, you know, it's, I cannot begin to tell you what this week has meant to me, just studying and beginning to prepare and getting a message from God and what He would have me to say today. But as I went back and began to study and write a sermon and work on these things, I was reminded of what a blessing it is to be able to stand in a pulpit and to proclaim the Word of God. And I just want to say today to anyone here that's teaching and preaching that you and I have been gifted and blessed with the greatest opportunity that any person, any believer would ever have on earth, and that is to say, thus saith the Lord. So I have an opportunity to teach and preach the Word of God, and God has reminded me of that this week in my preparation. What a blessing it is, and so I want to thank the Lord for this opportunity this morning. I want to thank Brother Greg as well trusting me to come into his pulpit. Brother Greg, a wonderful preacher, a wonderful pastor, and I'm thankful that he has entrusted me with this today, and, and uh, I know that uh, he is as much a blessing to you as he is to me and my family. So with that said, turning to Romans chapter 12, uh, Romans being one of my favorite books, if not my favorite book in all of the Bible, definitely, I believe, the foremost doctrinal book in all of the scripture, Romans chapter 12, uh, is one of those passages that really is a place where if you were outlining, if I was preaching through the book of Romans and I was doing this verse by verse, chapter by chapter, then I would arrive at chapter 12 and I would say to you this morning, if I had been doing that over the past months, I would say to you that we're about to cross the continental divide, that this is a great a uh, new segment, a new area in the Word of God in chapter 12 that is uh, a major section of this book because even though there's five chapters left, this is where Paul has really been wanting to go all along. He's wanting to take all of this instruction and all of the doctrine and all that he has given us in those first 11 verses and now we're about to make it practical. Now this is where the rubber meets the road, so to speak, in the life of a believer. Taking what we've been taught and using it in our lives. And so when you come to Romans chapter 12, there's a division, you might say, in the book. 
Because that which has been instructed is now becoming very practical and used in our life. He's been building to this. This is where he's been wanting to go all along. Now, I want you to notice something else as we look at this passage. Notice who he's writing this to. The audience that he is writing to and the audience that we are speaking to today is Christians. He's writing this to believers here in the Word of God. This is not something that an unbeliever can do. An unbeliever cannot present themselves to God as a living sacrifice in their unbelief and it be acceptable to God. That is an impossibility. In fact, most of the Word of God is written to believers. In fact, there's really two primary audiences in all of the Bible, and that is the Jew and that is the Gentile. And within that is those that believe in Christ, have trusted in Him as Lord and Saviors, those that are believers, the saved, and those that are the unsaved. And so he's writing here to this audience of believers And I want you to understand something, too, as well. Unbelievers can't do this. They won't do this. They shouldn't be expected to do this. But this is expected for you and I. In fact, you and I, I really is captured in Romans chapter 3, where it talks about the depravity of man there. And God spends about three chapters there talking about who each one of us was in this world prior to being saved. In fact, I want to read you a little excerpt because this is what he says about us when we were unbelievers and to an unbelieving world today. And this is what he's saying to you today if you're an unbeliever as well. The Word of God says in Romans 3, verse 10, There is none righteousness. And by the way, these are Old Testament quotes that he is pulling out, the Apostle Paul, and he's putting it together here in these verses so that we might understand today and be appreciative of what you and I have been saved from, because this was us. There's none righteous, no, not even one. There's none who understands. There's none who seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they have become useless. There is none who does good. There's not even one. Their throats is an open grave. With their tongues they keep deceiving. The poison of ass is under their lips, whose mouth is full of cursing and bitterness. Their feet are shift to uh, shed blood. Destruction and misery are in their paths, and the path of peace they have not known. And then here's the summation of it all. There is no fear of God before their eyes. And such were you and I, and such are unbelievers today. They have no fear of God. They have no reverence for God and who God is because they do not know God and they are not known by God. So they cannot do today what we are talking about, but you and I can. In fact, we're commanded to do this, and that is that we are to surrender ourselves to the Lord today fully, completely, and utterly. We're to become a living sacrifice, and that's why I titled this message this morning, A Living Sacrifice at the altar of God. And that's where each one of us every day needs to place ourselves living at the altar of God, daily placing ourselves on the altar, fully surrendering all that I am to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. Now that's easier said than done, amen? I know today I'm not preaching anything you haven't heard before, and I'm not speaking on any passage that you probably haven't read many, many times. But we actually, I find in most of our Christian lives, we tend to know a lot more than we live. Amen? Our knowledge is greater than our obedience. But that doesn't make it right. God has commanded us to present ourselves as a living sacrifice. And part of our problem is, is we have a fleshly body that doesn't want to go along with what our spiritual mind wants to do. Amen? In other words, spiritually, the desires of my heart is I want to obey God, and I want to do this, and I want to do it every day, and I want to sacrifice myself and surrender myself to God every single day. But I find that this fallen flesh is not always wanting to go along with that. It's not always in agreement. And so as a result, what we often find in our lives is we go to the altar and then we leave the altar. We crawl onto the altar of God as a sacrifice today and then we crawl off at some point during the day. Amen or oh my? 
I'm going to preach it to me. I'm, I'll guarantee you this is applicable in my life. And as a result of that, I find myself living again in disobedience, dishonoring God, saying things I shouldn't say, doing things I shouldn't do, because I'm no longer sacrificed to God. I'm no longer surrendered to Him. In fact, I'm allowing the flesh to be fed and the desires of the flesh. And as a result of that, my life ceases to honor God in a way in which it should. And so the message from God this morning is, I want you to crawl on the altar and I want you to stay there. I want you to live for me and I want you to continue to live for me every day that I give you on this earth. And if we're going to do that, it begins this morning with a connection. I want to draw a connection here in verse 1. Notice the word therefore. It looks like such a small word, but it's very important. If you're a Bible student and you love the Word of God, the therefores are important, amen? They're important as we study God's Word, as we learn the Word of God. Because the word therefore is like a bridge. It serves as a bridge in the Scripture. It's like a narrow tunnel, you might say. And what it's doing here in verse 1 is it's connecting us with everything that the Apostle Paul has taught us in chapters 1 through 11. The connector here in this case is therefore. Therefore is not an insignificant and unimportant word when it comes to the principles and the doctrine and the truth that God has been teaching us in all of Romans chapter 1 through chapter 11. And so as a result of that, we see this word therefore and all of that knowledge and all of that wisdom and all of that doctrine is passing through into chapter 12 and in this case, it's passing through into our life, you might say. In other words, when you look at chapters 1 through 11, we see instruction. In chapters 12 through 16, we have the application. It's applied to our life. In chapters 1 through 11, you find doctrine. But in chapters 12 through 16 of the book of Romans, we have duty. We have responsibility with that doctrine. In chapters 1 through 11, it's about knowledge. But in chapters 12 through 16, it's about wisdom. Taking that knowledge and applying it to our life. It's about our hands, our eyes, our feet. And everything that's about us going out into the world and being applied in that way and making a difference for Christ in this world. Listen. What we've been given prior to this in chapters 1 through 11 is designed by God to impact our lives. It should make a difference when we study the Word of God. And I don't care what book you're reading. When we read the Word of God, if we take that Word and we digest it and we eat from the Word and it becomes a part of us, it should, it must impact our lives. It must be a difference maker. That which is known should become used in our life and applied. So in other words, we go from knowing to doing, we go from learning to living here, and from knowledge to wisdom. It matters how we live our lives. It matters to God, and it should matter to you and I as well. Just because we've been saved by grace does not mean that we can go out and live any way we want to. We're not to do that. We're not to presume on God in such a way. In fact, the Apostle Paul wrote in Romans 6, chapter 6, verses 1 and 2, What shall we say then? Are we, uh, are we to continue in sin so that grace may increase? Far from it. How shall we who died to sin still live in it? In other words, how in the world should we ever get this idea that it's okay to just sin and go on willfully sinning in our lives with this thought process that God will forgive me for it? That it's okay. And that's exactly what the Apostle Paul is talking about here in Romans 6. We should never let sin abound in our life that grace has to abound all the more. That's a fool's way of thinking. And it's a fool's way of behaving. So it is critical as we take what God has taught us that we use that knowledge and we apply it to our lives and we live in such a way that is pleasing to our Lord. It's not enough to say that God has saved us, but we ought to be able to evidence that salvation that we claim. 
It's one of the great things that I always look for in someone's life when they say they've been saved. Is there a change in their life? Doesn't mean they're going to snap into this mature Christian, but there should and there must be an evidence of real change going on in their life if they've truly been saved. They can't help but change in the way they think, in the way they see God, in the way they see others, the way they view the world, and the way they behave. Amen? There has to be a change. And so the Apostle Paul comes to us with this word, therefore, and he's really connecting everything that's been said in all of Romans chapters 1 through 11 with what he's about to say here now. So there's a connector. Then secondly, we see the motivation. He gives us a motivation for doing this. He's not just content to tell us what we need to do, but he's going to persuade us to do it. If you uh, need some persuasion today, if you need to get motivated today because you're lacking in this, the Apostle Paul wants to motivate you. And he wants to motivate me with what he's about to say. In other words, before he says, I want you to present yourself as a living sacrifice, he wants to strike a match and light a fire under us to do this. Some of us, that's our biggest problem in following the Lord. We suffer from the fact that we don't have a fire underneath us to do it. I lack motivation. I don't believe there's a believer in here that at some point in your life, you haven't let your fire go down in your life and you haven't suffered from a lack of motivation to go serve the Lord and live for Him and walk with Him. I think we've all been through that. Every one of us has been touched by this. And he wants to light a fire under us with what he's about to say. He wants to ignite within us a motivation to live for the glory of God. In other words, he wants to stir us up, you might say, in the spirit which is within us. I looked at 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 13. Peter's writing to believers that's undergoing some incredible persecution. They are undergoing persecution like I've never known in my life, and probably you haven't either living in our country. And Peter simply says this, I consider it right as long as I am in this earthly dwelling, as long as I'm living in this body, as long as I'm drawing another breath to stir you up by way of reminder. And that's exactly what Paul wants to do. This phrase here, stir up, it means to awaken someone from their sleep. It means to arouse, to engage, to activate our mind, to activate our understanding. It's really synonymous with the word urge that Paul uses here in verse 1, where Paul says, I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God. In other words, it's a word that means implore, the word urge. I appeal, I summons, I beseech, your Bible may say. I plead with you, I compel you. By the mercies of God. In other words, what Paul is simply saying is, I want to move you. I want you to be moved to do this in your heart. I don't believe anyone will sacrifice themselves as a living sacrifice, surrender to God daily unless we're motivated to do it. There has to be a compelling from within. There has to be a desire and a fire to do this. And that's exactly what Paul wants to do. And he is using the words, urge, he says, I want to move you. I want you to feel. You can't read this and not feel his passion as he's writing this. I think Paul was a very passionate, obviously passionate man. And he had a lot of fire and he had a lot of zeal. And it just comes across with these Holy Spirit inspired words. He's not tossing them out there like it's take it or leave it today. Like we so often approach the Word of God like, well, you know, I know this, but it, does it really matter? It's not a take it or leave it type of thing that the Apostle Paul is doing here. He's just like every spirit-filled biblical preacher and teacher of God's Word. And that is simply this. When we get up here and we're preaching and teaching, our desire is that you be moved. That it affects you. Not because of me or what I say but because of God and who He is and the Spirit of God that dwells in you. We want you to be moved. We want you to be fired up and to be moved towards God, to be more Christ-like, to be moved more towards Him 
in that direction. That a fire would be ignited in your heart to obey. That you would be stirred up to live a holy life. Some of us in the church, and I've been there and done this, I come to church and I've got a do not disturb sign on my neck. Amen? Some of you may have one right now. Do not disturb. I'm here, present and accounted for, doing what I know is the right thing to do, where I should be, but I'm not really here. I'm not really motivated. I'm not really fired up about God or the things of God. I'm just kind of going through the motions right now. Somebody poured water on my fire and my light's not bright, uh, burning very bright. I've been there too often. Just doing the right thing because it's the right thing. And let me tell you, it is the right thing. Amen? We should be here. But how much better it is in our worship and how much more our worship is real and how much more it pleases God as He knows our heart and He knows our mind when we're really here with Him and our desire is to worship Him and our desire is to obey Him and it's really real within us. That I really have a fire and a motivation to offer myself as a living sacrifice. I think one of the terrible side effects that's come out of COVID on the church, I watched it in my church at home, back in Bochito, and I'll tell you tonight where that is. You don't know, it's probably not in Oklahoma. It is, it is, but most people say, huh, where? But we sell the same thing there, and I saw it in the county, and I saw it in the surrounding church. Uh, churches as well and pastors talked about it one of the things about covid that it really has affected the church body and much greater even than just attendance and those that can't be here and those that have really just fallen out and that's going on as well we have those that truly cannot be here with us in the body because of all kinds of legitimate reasons they're not here and then we've watched those that's apostatized and they've fallen away and they don't want to come back they have no desire to come back and as the Apostle John said in 1 John, they went out from among us because they were not of us. And all of a sudden, they just don't want to come back anymore. They don't want to be a part of the body of Christ. But the main thing that I've seen, that I've experienced even myself with COVID and being out and missing all those months and not being here is apathy. Tremendous apathy in the body. And that may not apply to you, but it may apply to your neighbor today. Tremendous apathy. Apathy's been a problem in the church for a long time before this, but I think it's even greater now. Just a lack of enthusiasm for God. A lack of enthusiasm for the things of God. Apathy. A lack of interest in our heart and in our soul. It really reminds me a little bit of the lukewarmness in Revelation chapter 3 that Jesus talked about with the church of Laodicea because he said, you're just lukewarm, and he just wanted to vomit them out, just spit them out, made him sick. Apathy, lukewarmness. I'm present and accounted for, but man, my passion for you, God, my passion for serving you, the fire that used to be in me, for you and honoring you and obeying you, it's just not there right now. And what we end up doing is just honoring with our lips. Remember, Jesus talked about that. He said, They honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. Now, in that context, he's talking to unbelievers there, he's talking to Pharisees. But I'm telling you that we can do that as believers. Not just unbelievers. That we say all the right things. Use the Christianese language. We all know it, right? Those little key words you're supposed to say. But the reality is my heart's far from you, Lord. And he knows that. I can fool you. You can fool me, but we can't fool God. Apathy. Lack of enthusiasm. Unmoved, unmotivated in our relationship with God. And our behavior daily reflects it. So Paul comes this morning and he wants to motivate us. 
And what's he going to use for that? He wants to fire us up. What? By remembering the mercies of God. Remembering the mercies of God. Now, what are the mercies of God? Well, the mercies of God is every doctrine and every truth that God taught us in chapters 1 through 11 and everywhere else in the Bible. That's the mercies of God. My goodness, that list could go on forever and ever. It's remembering who you were before you were saved. And it's remembering a wonderful, sovereign God who called you to himself. And he gave you eyes to see your need for salvation. And he gave you ears to hear his voice calling. And he compelled you to come to him. And he saved your soul. It's remembering the grace of God, the goodness of God. And how he sent his son Jesus into the world on a mission of redemption. Jesus, who paid a debt he did not owe, because I owed a debt I could not pay. It's never forgetting what it was like to be stuck in the pit of sin and darkness that I existed in prior to being saved. It's remembering how God has sent the Holy Spirit into my life and He graciously and sovereignly opened my heart that I might believe and trust, just like He did Lydia in the book of Acts. And when you think about the fact that we're crucified with Christ and we're buried with Christ and we're raised with Christ, when you consider the fact that we can never, ever fall away from grace, and that those whom he foreknew he predestined, and whom he predestined he called, and whom he called he justified, and those he justified he sanctified, and ultimately we're going to be glorified. When you consider the fact that we are eternally secure in his grace, and nothing, no one shall ever separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus. When you think about out of this big massive lump of clay of humanity, God molded you and shaped you into a vessel of honor. Those are the mercies of God. I can't think of anything more compelling or more moving or more motivational that could ever be spoken by Paul or you or me or any other preacher than to use the words, the mercies of God. The mercies of God. How could we not be motivated by that? As you remember. And the Bible speaks a lot about remembering. We're to remember those things. We're to remember who we were before we were saved. We're to remember who we are now. And we're to remember all the goodness of God and the blessings of God. And just how much he's blessed you. And how much he's blessed me. How could we not be motivated? How could we not be stirred? Paul says, by the mercies of God. By the mercies of God. We should be motivated. And we should be on fire. And it will light us up. You know the word revival? You know what that means? It means come alive again. Doesn't mean we get saved again. No. We're justified by faith. Right? Grace alone, faith alone, and Christ alone. But it means to light up, to fire up, to come alive. So we have the motivation, and then thirdly, we have the presentation. What is it he's firing us up to do? Therefore, I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God, present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice, acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship now before I mine all the gold in this passage I want you to see this is not a suggestion God's not asking us to do this this is a commandment we're to do this this is something that we're expected to do it's God's will so he's not just begging us to become this living sacrifice that's utterly devoted to him but he's commanding us to do it and that is that we are to present ourselves to him as a living and holy sacrifice, that we crawl on that altar and we stay on that altar every day for the rest of our life. Surrendered to God. 
fully and completely. That word present there, it's a temple term. Uh, it's an idea, carries the idea of surrendering up or yielding yourself. Presenting yourself, it's an offering to God as a sacrifice. It's really drawing on the Old Testament priestly language there where an Old Testament priest would come in and they would bring the lamb and the animal and they would slay it and they would sacrifice it and they would lay it on the altar as prescribed by God. And that Old Testament priest would be careful that he brought the right sacrifice and he presented it in the right way. Otherwise, it was not acceptable to God. It was to be the right sacrifice and it was to be presented in the right way or it would be rejected. And it's generally just a reminder to me that we don't just come to God any way we want to. Amen? We come His way, we come on His term, and we need to present the right sacrifice. And in this case, the right sacrifice is not a dead animal, it's a living one. It's you and it's me. That's what God requires. So the priest would offer up the sacrifice, present it to God, lay it on the altar, and then he would do something else, he would take his hands off of it. And when he took his hands off, that simply symbolized the fact that, God, this is given to you, and I'm out of this. It's not about me. My hands are off. It's you. That's a symbolic gesture when he would take his hands off. Of the, off the, it was totally given. In other words, it was totally yielded to God. And so Paul is saying that God requires that you and I, as New Testament priests, the priesthood of the believers... From the New Testament, we're to take our living bodies, not a dead one. We're to place it on the altar of God, remove our hands from it, which is symbolic of a surrendered life, a life truly yielded to God every single day. Now, the word bodies here represents the entirety of our being. It's metaphorical language that we're looking at. When the Bible uses the word body, it represents every inch, every ounce from the top of our head to the bottom of our feet of who we are. That's what he's talking here. From the top of our head to the bottom of our feet, it's the entirety of our being, our mind, our emotions, our will, all of it. Everything that I am or ever hope to be yielded to God fully completely and utterly placed on the altar before God. And how could we do anything less when we think about this body that to be saved, for God to save us, it took the blood of our Lord. I'm thinking about 1 Corinthians chapter uh, 6, verse 20, where Paul said, You're not your own, for we've been bought for a price. Therefore, glorify God in your body. So we are to use these bodies to be a blessing and to glorify God. And what God wants here is our body. Let's not assume anything else. Let's don't read any more into this text than what's here. You say, preacher, what is it he's wanting? He wants this body. He wants these eyes. He wants these hands. He wants these ears. He wants this mouth. He wants this feet. He wants everything that is the makeup of my body and your body. Nothing is to be left behind. Nothing is to not be offered. It's all to be laying on the altar as a sacrifice. And you ask the question maybe, why is it so important that we sacrifice this body? Because this body is the beachhead for sin. For the fallenness of man, it's in sin. My spirit, your spirit has been redeemed. It's been made alive. I was once dead, not just in my trespasses and my sins, but I was spiritually dead, and so were you. And God has awakened us. He has breathed life into us. And so my spirit is alive. My spirit is redeemed. But it is housed in a body that is sinful, that has a bent towards sin, a part of our human nature. It's the curse of Adam being played out on this body. And every day, the Spirit of God is housed in this sinful body. 
And so the picture that Paul is painting here is taking this body and presenting it to God in the meantime. Someday we're going to receive a glorified body. Amen? Someday this body that's so fallen and so sinful is going to be placed in the grave and you and I, this spirit is going to be matched up with a glorified body that is sinless and perfect and there's no curse of Adam. But in the meantime, it's to be given to God. And if it's not, it has a way of running away with us. Amen? The lust of the flesh. I mean, if we don't bring our body into subjection and do this, what we find is we go places we shouldn't go. We say things we shouldn't say. We listen to things we shouldn't be listening to. We allow our mind to be filled with all kinds of things that it shouldn't be filled with. I see things and watch things I shouldn't be watching and I shouldn't be seeing. Amen or oh my? Yeah. So the body is incredibly important. And that's why God says, I want your body. I have your soul. I have your spirit. But I want you to place your body on the altar. And I want you to offer it to me every single day. Present your bodies as a living sacrifice. And let me tell you, this is the only type of sacrifice that is acceptable to God. There's a Christian life that is lived in a way that's acceptable to God. But there's a Christian life that's lived in a way that's unacceptable to God as well. And when we fail to do this, when we allow the lust of the flesh to take us over, then we're living a life that's not acceptable to God. Some of you in here today... You're living a life and you know it and the way you're behaving and the way you're acting, you haven't offered yourself to God. You haven't given this body to God in so long you don't remember the last time that you did. And your life is evidence of it. You don't remember the last time you repented. You don't remember the last time you came under conviction. You're living in a way that's unacceptable. Not just any old thing will do. Acceptable means to be well-pleasing to God. And anything less than a living holy sacrifice given to God, submitting, surrendering to His Lordship is unacceptable to God. Anything less than what the Scripture is telling us here is unacceptable to our Savior. So as a believer, the manner in which I live is to be well-pleasing. Maybe you're living a well-pleasing life to God today. Amen and amen. Stay there. Stay on the altar. And don't come off. And Paul finishes verse 1. This is your reasonable service of worship, your spiritual service. I like Paul. There's a translation to this. You might put it this way. This is your reasonable, rational, intelligent, logical decision to make in your life in other words to present motivated by the mercies of God when I understand that the most logical reasonable thing that I could do today or you could do is to put ourselves on the altar it's the most logical thing we could do it just makes sense if you want to talk about uncommon today, uncommon common sense, this is the most common sense thing we could do is to do this. Say, here, God, all that I am is yours. Do with me as you will. And ultimately, it's worship. It's worship. Want to worship? Truly? Do this. Present yourself. Do the logical thing. Do the reasonable thing. Worship's not about 10, 15 to 11, 30. 
We can do that and not worship. It's not about rituals or stained glass or anything else. It's about honoring God. It's a lifestyle. We talked about it this morning. Probably the greatest illustration I can give you today that's fresh on your hearts was our Sunday school lesson. Mary was a living sacrifice. She was on that altar. And you saw it in the lesson today. And she was worshiping God. She's the same Mary that was at the cross. She's the same Mary that was at the feet of Jesus in Luke 10 in our lesson today. She was an example of a living sacrifice, and they're all over the Bible. Paul himself is an example of a living sacrifice. And that's worship. That's life-changing worship. That's the worship that pleases God. And then fourthly and lastly, I promise I'm closing. Those who have had me in Sunday school know that I'm kind of long-winded. We go to the transformation. The transformation. And that's in verse 2. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, so that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. Notice that word conform there means the act of someone behaving in a way that does not outwardly, that does not represent who they are inside. That's the picture here. It simply means the emphasis of the word conformed is external. It's like you're putting on an act, and what I'm seeing on the outside doesn't really represent who you really are on the inside. It's masquerading, in other words. J.B. Phillips, I love his trans of this uh, of this uh, phrase here and do not be conformed he puts it this way he says do not be squeezed into the mold of this world do not be pressed into the shape of this evil world system in other words he's saying don't masquerade as if you belong to this world because you don't it's not who you truly are in christ don't act like something, in other words, that you're not. And the assumption, first of all, is that believers are doing this. That we're acting like something that we're not. That we're masquerading when we leave here and we go out into the rest of the world and we go to our jobs and we go everywhere that God takes us, that we're putting on this mask that identifies with the world. And the reality is that's not who we are. There's a slogan, we're to be in the world, but not of the world. And that's a problem, too, as well with, with, with us. We are people pleasers, and some of us are more than others. We want to fit in. Amen? We like to fit in wherever we are. But the problem with fitting in is sometimes that which they see from us and hear from us is not really who we are as a child of the living God. And we find ourselves beginning to adopt their ways to act in a way that's ungodly, a way of the world, to go back, you might say, to acting the way I used to act and the way I used to talk prior to being saved. And the reality is we're allowing ourselves to be conformed, to be pressured in, to be squeezed in to the mold of the unbelieving world. And we're not to do that. We began to be so conformed that we identify with the priorities, the values, and the behaviors of the unsaved world, and we cease to be an influence on them. I believe this is one of the great reasons why the church, why we have lost so much of our influence and power in society and out in this world. It's because we have so identified with the lost world, we have so begun to act like they act, so that we'll be accepted and liked and approved, that we no longer are the salt and the light that God has called us and saved us to be. They look at us and they can't tell a bit of difference between me or someone who's living the most ungodly life that you've ever seen. They hear me talk, they hear what I think, they hear what I say, they watch where I go, the way I respond in my life, and all of it is being squeezed in and pressured in and conforming to a world that is living in unbelief, and that's not who I really am inside. And so the Apostle Paul says, do not be conformed 
to this world. Can you imagine the pressure and the squeezing that the Romans that he's writing to? They were suffering. Imagine the pressure they felt to conform. To just act like everybody else. To just go along. But Paul says we're not to be conformed. We're to be transformed. I love that word. It's a metamorphosis. Jesus in Matthew chapter 17 was transfigured on the mount. And his face began to shine like the sun. And his clothing became as white as light. That's whiter than white. I mean, what was on the inside of God, of this man, Jesus, human flesh, the God inside, who he really was, was just in a little bit beginning to come out and be seen. And that's what's happening on the Mount of Transfiguration. It's a transformation taking place is what he's talking about. It's kind of a word used of a caterpillar becoming a butterfly. Instead of being conformed from the outside in, we need to be transformed when we leave here from the inside out. It's like, you might say, the believers coming out of the closet and being identified with Christ. Think about it. Maybe you go to work every day and they don't have the first-eyed clue that you're a believer, that you really is love God as much as you really do, that you've been saved. There needs to be a coming out. We need to live like what we are inside, like the God who saved us. You know, the homosexual community, they've had a coming out party. And you know what? That's their business, amen? But we need one in the body of Christ. A coming out party. Not being conformed, but being transformed. So that the world sees in us Christ Jesus. And how am I transformed? By the renewing of mind. How do I do this? How do I have this transformation? By getting my mind renewed. That's such an important concept. R.C. Sproul. How many of you? There you go. How many of you have heard of R.C. Sproul? Bet everybody has. Well, he named his radio program Renewing Your Mind. That's how important it is. That's how critical it is. Because the mind is the battlefield for the Christian life. Amen. Every sin we've ever committed originates in the mind. It starts there. We think it. Even if it's for that long, we think it. We contemplate it and then we do it. Or we don't do it. There's a battle for the mind. And that's what's really driving our Christian lives. Proverbs says, as a man thinks in his heart, so is he. So the renewing of our mind means that our mind becomes like the mind of Christ. That we have God's thoughts and God's belief. And we allow our convictions to be rooted and grounded in the scripture. And I began to look at this world through spiritual eyes. And I think with a mind that's right with God, in tune with God's thought, and I have this view of the world from the eyes of God. As the mind goes, so goes the life. Listen to Colossians 3, 2. Set your mind on things above and not on the things of the earth. In other words, we're to be focused on those things. Our mind should be focused on those things that are eternal and not just on the things of the earth. Our mind is a battlefield, and our mind is to be given to God, and our thoughts are to be taken captive. A transformed life necessitates a transformed mind. There has to be a renewing of the mind. And the renewing of the mind simply comes this way, through the Word of God. You cannot have a renewed mind and be transformed if you are not a student of God's Word. You cannot. It is the word of God that cleanses us. It is the preaching of the word of God. It's meditating on it, memorizing it, believing it, and applying it. I wrote down here something that my own brother's on dialysis. And the word of God is like dialysis. You know, dialysis, everybody knows this. Dr. Tony knows this better than anybody. But dialysis is used for cleansing it cleanses the blood it cleanses the body of our impurities right well so does the word of god it's our dialysis from god it cleanses us it gets our mind right our heart right 
It takes all of those things that's been attacking us, all the worldly concepts that goes on, all the ideologies, all of the thinking, all of the ways of the world, all of those things, and it cleanses our mind, and it cleanses our heart. It transforms us. That's why everyday Bible study is critical to walking with God. Absolutely. It's as necessary as dialysis is to my brother. He can't live without it. And whether we realize it or not, we can't either. Not be a sacrifice. And what's the result of a transformed mind by the renewing? So that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. In other words, it puts us right in the middle of God's will. Isn't that where we want to be? Amen. Isn't that where everybody wants to dwell every day? In the will of God. Serving God. Lined up with God. Doing what God would have me to do. Saying what God would have me to say. Thinking in a way that God would have me to think. You know, when you and I were saved, we gave up dirt for diamonds. Amen. Would you agree with that? Gave up dirt for diamonds. Why would we want to go back to the dirt? Let's don't do that. Let's rise and shine. Give God the glory by being a living sacrifice, presenting ourselves to Him. Every single day. Surrender to his rule and his reign. And I'm not going to be conformed to this world. I'm not going to be pressured into that. I'm not going to be squeezed into that. But I'm going to be transformed. Coming out. By the renewing of my mind. In God's word. Amen. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word this morning. God, I just pray that it would move. God, that uh, you would uh, speak to those of us that need to be spoken to this morning. Father, I just pray that, uh, and I know it will never return void, your word will not. I just pray that each one of us would, uh, if we're not on that sacrifice every day, if we're not surrendered to you, yielded to you, God, that we would be. Father, I pray it starts today with each one of us. God, that we'd have an enthusiasm. God, we get fired up about who you are and who we are. And God, what a blessing and an opportunity it is to be your child. All the hope that awaits us, God, we just, uh, we glory in that. We give you all the glory for it. God, we live in that hope that there's more to this life, that there's eternal life. Help us to be a living sacrifice. Help us to be, God, transformed with a renewed mind that just loves you and wants to live for you. And I just pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.